0: Amen. Well, today we're going to be jumping back into our series in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would, take your Bibles with me and turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of a a big picture look at what this passage is all about. Ultimately, I believe that this passage is about uh, worship. Ultimately, about the worship that we give to God and particularly uh, the source that ultimately determines how we worship God. Uh, What we're going to see here, Jesus challenge the source that the Pharisees and scribes subscribe to, uh, to inform and determine the way that they worship God. And and we're going to see um, how that interaction actually unfolds. And so be thinking about those two categories as we read through here, this passage about worship and ultimately about, determines, uh, about what determines how we worship. So let's look here at the first eight verses of Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Father, we come to you this morning wanting you to purify our worship wanting to see all of the ways in which we worship you in ways that are not right. We want to leave here with a purer worship than when we came. And so I pray that this passage would be instructive for us to that end. As he sings in the name of Jesus, amen. What informs, guides, and ultimately determines The way you worship God. What ultimately determines the way you worship God? What is the source that you root the way in which you will worship God? There's a a statement that theologians use that communicates why it is essential to answer this question correctly. This is what they say. They say, doxology without theology is idolatry. And now you're wondering or you're understanding why theologians say that, right? Because you're like, I have no idea what that means. Well, this is what that means. Worship, doxology, giving praise to God without knowing who we are worshiping, theology leads to idolatry. What this is saying is that if we do not know the God that we are worshiping, we will not worship that God. We will worship idols. We will worship whatever our minds imagine God to be. And that places the importance on answering this question correctly. What ultimately informs the way that we worship God? Is it a good source or is it a bad source? If it's a good source, it will ultimately lead us to true worship. If it's a bad source, it will lead us to idolatry. And we see this in our text, and that is the very issue that Jesus raises with the Pharisees and scribes. He challenges the source that determined how they would worship God, and he ultimately finds the source and their worship to be lacking. And so as we look at this text this morning, we need to put ourselves in the position of the Pharisees and scribes, and we need to consider our own worship and what ultimately determines it. And as we unfold the text this morning, our aim is going to be to see how the Word of God ought to determine and fuel true worship to God. So let's begin here by looking at the determining source of the Pharisees and scribes' worship. We're ultimately going to see this in verses 1 through 5, but let's start in with verses 1 and 2. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Now, Mark begins this encounter with Jesus by introducing us to the characters who are involved in the story. He says that the Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem to where Jesus and his disciples were. Now, the Pharisees and scribes were two groups within the Jewish religious leadership system. Both the Pharisees and scribes were perceived by common Jews to be the most devout and holy Jews of all. And we see in the New Testament that the Pharisees particularly praised themselves for their rigorous observance of the law of God and their faithfulness to Him. And Scripture also speaks often of the self-righteous attitude that accompanied these religious leaders. Now, as the Pharisees and scribes arrive where Jesus and his disciples are, uh, they see something. They see the disciples eating with what they call defiled hands, hands that have not been washed properly. Now, the Pharisees and scribes are not concerned here with the disciples' hygiene. They're not actually worried about whether their hands are clean or not, per se, for hygiene reasons, but they are concerned with the disciples' disregard of the traditions that they followed, the traditions that they subscribed to. Now, Mark, presumably, here is writing to a Gentile audience, and as we move into verses 3 and 4, he gives us some commentary on the tradition of the Pharisees and scribes, which ultimately leads to the question that they asked Jesus in verse 5. And you'll see this here in verse 3 and 4 by the the parentheses that brackets those two verses. This is Mark giving his commentary on the tradition of the elders of the hand-washing spoken of here. So let's look at these verses again. Verse 3, beginning the, the commentary of Mark. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the Of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Now, what should jump out at you from these three verses is the repeated phrase, the traditions of the elders. These traditions they follow. Why do your disciples not follow these traditions? Many such traditions they follow. Three times in these three verses, this phrase is repeated. And so it's important for us to understand what these traditions are and how they ultimately deviated from the word of God. Now the traditions of the elders spoken of here were the oral traditions that had been handed down by the Jewish elders for centuries. And it was the observance of these traditions is what the Pharisees based their worship to God on. This is the source of, of what determined how they would worship God, okay? The traditions of the elders. Now, in general, these traditions were seen to be laws that were above and beyond what God required in the law he had given to Israel. And considering here the specific law about the washing of hands, we see this law reflected in the Mosaic Law uh, in Leviticus 22, 3-9. And at this point, God is giving laws based on how the priests and the worshiper were to approach God in the worship setting, okay? They were to do these cleansings, do these washings, do a lot of things to ritually purify themselves to enter into worship to God. Now, what the Pharisees did with this law is they took these cleansing laws from their intended ceremonial setting, their worship setting, and they applied them universally to every meal. And they said that if you don't wash your hands, not just in a worship context, but if you don't wash your hands properly in any meal setting, you are not following God. You are not worshiping God. They based their holiness on their observance of not what God commanded, but on what their tradition taught. So they went around putting all of these laws into action and so that people could see how holy and righteous they supposedly were by keeping all of these extra-biblical laws. They based their worship of God on the traditions of men. Now Mark's commentary on this scene shows us what makes the Pharisees and scribes question Jesus in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? They ask this question because they have left the word of God and have allowed their tradition to be the authority on which they will worship God. That's what leads them to ask this question. And this now brings us back to the question I asked you at the beginning What informs, guides, and ultimately determines the way in which you worship God? Now, undoubtedly, there are many influences. Uh, The way in which you worship God may be put together from a number of different elements. It may be a mixture of what you were taught as a child, either in church, uh, by some pastor, or by your parents. You might have read some books on what it means to worship God and grabbed some things from that. You might have uh, listened to a preacher. You might have, have read different articles or watched videos, whatever it might be. You might just worship the same as the people that are around you. But is there an objective, true source that you can submit all of these other influences to? Do you have that? Is your worship to God based upon the objective word of God. You see, we, like the Pharisees and scribes, can allow our traditions to direct our worship to God. And as Jesus responds to the Pharisees and scribes, we see the devastating results of allowing this to happen. We see this in verses 6 and 7 as Jesus responds to the religious leader's question. This is what he says. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus begins his scathing response to the Pharisees and scribes by quoting Isaiah 29, 13. And by doing this, Jesus shows us how they have distorted true worship to God. The fundamental problem with the Pharisees and scribes is that their worship traditions focused on external rituals to the complete neglect of the heart. They put a division where No division should be in worship to God. In worship to God, it should be a combination of both our hearts and what we do with our hands. But the scribes and Pharisees sought to push a wedge between those two things, seeking to only honor God with what they do with their hands and neglecting the heart. They were more concerned about their hands being clean than they were about the disposition of their hearts towards God. That's what we see here. And this distortion of true worship justifies Jesus' accusation of hypocrisy on the part of the scribes and Pharisees. They praised themselves as being the most holy through their observance of their traditions while at the same time they had no love for God in their heart. Jesus presents to us here a very disturbing reality. This is very disturbing. You can be doing all of the right religious things while at the same time prostituting your heart on the street corner. You can wake up on a Sunday morning Come to church, fellowship with other believers, raise your hands in worship and in singing, serve in the cafe, lead an ABF. You can stand up here and preach while at the same time your heart is bowing down to idols. Hollywood depicts this really well in a lot of its movies this reality in the context of of a marriage relationship? How many movies follow the plot of a wife who is going about doing all of the right things with and for her husband while at the same time her heart is going after another man? How many movies depict a husband kissing his wife before he heads off to work for the day? Stopping by the store on the way home to pick up flowers. Playing with the kids and doing home improvement things during the evening. All the while his heart is in bed with another woman. This happens a lot. We can be doing all of the right things while our hearts are cold and distant to God. Now, following this marital analogy of distorted worship, of doing all these right things for our spouse while our hearts are in bed with someone else, the question that we have to ask ourselves and ask of the Pharisees is what God were their hearts in bed with? The God their hearts were bowing down to and worshiping was themselves. They were worshiping themselves. They created and clung to worship traditions that focused on doing things that could be seen by others so that their status, power, and praise would increase among the people. That's why they were so threatened by Jesus because he sought to remove all of that and to direct people to what true worship was and who they should be truly worshiping. They created all of these little laws about washing their hands and what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't so that they could keep them as perfectly as they could so that others could see them and could praise them. They were worshiping themselves. Their worship traditions were man-made and man-glorifying. Do you participate in a system of religious activities to be noticed by others, to be praised by others? Is that why you worship God? Are you doing all of the right things with a distant heart? Did you just sing moments ago, raising your hands in praise to God with a distant heart? Are you professing to worship God while your heart is bowing down before idols? This is the worship that the Pharisees and scribes were supposedly giving to God. And this is the worship that we often give to Him as well. And not only does Jesus show us here how this kind of worship is distorted, that pushes a wedge between the heart and the hands, but he shows us also how God views this worship. Jesus says that those who worship God through man-made religious activities while their hearts are cold, worship him in vain. Verse 7, in vain do they worship me. Now, in order to grasp the way that God views this worship uh, in a little bit more tangible way, we need to ask a question, and the question we need to ask is this, what does this kind of distorted worship that simply does all of the right religious things while our hearts are distant, what kind or what, what does this worship smell like to God? Now, that seems like a really weird question, but... If you know your Bibles and specifically your Old Testament well, you'll know that it's not that strange at all. God, throughout Scripture, often talks about the worship that his people give them as being an aroma that rises up to heaven that he can sense. Now, when Scripture talks about this, it's talking metaphorically. As we gathered here today and as we worship, there's not some actual aroma that can be sensed that is rising up to God. It's meant to depict whether our worship to God is honoring and pleasing to Him or whether it's repulsive to Him. I remember uh, not too long ago one of the worst things that I have ever smelled in my entire life. Uh, It happened not that long ago, just a few months ago. Both of my sons came down with a stomach bug and it was one of those bugs where they're sitting on the toilet and you're holding a bucket for them as well, okay? Okay. So we have stuff coming out of both sides. Um, Ezra got it first, had it for about a week. We were hoping Silas wasn't going to get it. He comes down with it. At about one or two in the morning one one night, we start to hear Silas kind of whining and fussing a little bit. And so we go and we check him out. And as we're taking him out of his room to the bathroom, he starts to cough. And we're like... We know where this is going. (laughs) And so I had him in my arms and I rushed him to the kitchen sink. Not sure why I didn't take him to the bathroom, but it's two in the morning. So Uh, I rushed him to the kitchen sink. I sat him on the edge of the sink, his feet in the sink, and he just vomits everywhere. It was disgusting. I have a reasonably uh, tough stomach, okay? Not many things are going to make me want to throw up. But I told Abby, I said, you got to come over here and hold him. I said, I'm going to throw up. I've got to get out of here. There's going to be throw up everywhere really soon if you don't come and take him. I didn't want to just let him, because he would have tipped backwards and fallen off the counter. And so she comes over and grabs him, and it was terrible. It was horrible. He had eaten like three pieces of pizza the night before and there were like full pieces of pizza coming back up, and it was bad, okay? When we worship God, when we worship God with distant hearts, simply doing all of the right religious things, it is repulsive to God. Just as repulsive as smelling that vomit It activates in God this kind of divine gag reflex. As it were, he is sitting in heaven wanting to throw up at seeing his people worship this way. This is the way that God talks about this kind of worship. The worship of his people that is of the distorted brand in Amos 5.21. He says, I hate and if that weren't strong enough, comma, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. A repulsive aroma rises up to God when we worship him in this way. We have seen here what led the Pharisees and scribes and often leads us astray, leaving the word of God as the ultimate determiner of our worship of God. That's what led the Pharisees and scribes astray and that's what often leads us astray. And this produces devastating results, a distorted worship that God abhors But now we must consider, lastly, what it means to return to worship that is pleasing to God. How do we return to a worship that is pleasing in his eyes? We see this in verse 8. As Jesus finishes his quotation of Isaiah 29, 13, He makes a statement that explicitly defines the Pharisees and scribes' problem and implicitly provides a solution. This is what he says. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So what's the explicit problem? The explicit problem is this: You're leaving the word of God and holding to the traditions of men have made your worship a repulsive stench to me. That's the problem. Explicit. What then, is the implicit solution? The implicit solution is that you must renounce your traditions and return to the word of God as the ultimate determiner of your worship. That's the implicit solution given here by Jesus. Now let's assume for a moment that the Pharisees and scribes went back to the word, which would have been the the Old Testament scriptures for them, and studied it properly, really studied it without the bias of their traditions. What would they find? what would the scribes and the Pharisees find if they went back and truly, properly studied the Old Testament Scriptures? If the Pharisees and scribes studied the Old Testament rightly, they would not have found a religious system of worship laws slightly more relaxed than the ones their traditions had created. They would have found Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in a different encounter with the religious leaders in the Gospel of John, verse five, or chapter five, verse 46. This is what he says. Listen, he says, if you believed Moses, the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the one who wrote the book of the Bible in which the law was given to Israel, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote of me. If they went back and studied properly, they would have found Jesus there. That's what they would have found. They would have found a system of worship laws that revealed the defilement, not of their hands, but of their hearts. And that called them to cast themselves on the mercy of God, fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what they would have found. And this is what is so devastating about the traditions of the Pharisees and scribes and about our traditions as well, is that when they read the Old Testament, their traditions caused them to miss Jesus. Do we realize that? The importing of their traditions into the Word of God literally made them miss Jesus in the Old Testament. And not only did it make them miss Jesus when studying the word, it made them miss Jesus as he was standing right before their very eyes. Their traditions were so blinding that they couldn't see him. They couldn't believe him. Here's the point in this for us. It is only through Jesus That we can offer true worship to God because the heart of true worship flows from a relationship with Jesus. And it is not based simply on the observance of rules and regulations. True worship seeks to bring together the heart and our obedience. It doesn't just simply focus on doing all the right things, but having an engaged heart as we do them. If you want to truly worship God, your heart must be in it. And if your heart is going to be in it, you have to know Jesus. Now, there are some of you here who, upon hearing this, thought that you knew Jesus but you've come to realize that you're just like the Pharisees and scribes, doing the right religious things with distant hearts. But something is stirring within you and you want to know Jesus, you want to truly know Him, but you don't know what to do. Trust Him. Love Him. Rest in Him. See his glory and ask him to remove your adulterous heart and to replace it with a God-worshipping, Christ-loving heart. That is what you must do. Now, there are many more of you here today, I'm sure, who truly know Jesus, but your heart tends to wander. What does this text say to you? If you want a heart that is engaged in your worship of God, you must be in the word of God and not like the Pharisees and scribes were in the word of God, imposing their traditions upon the word of God and completely missing Jesus in the process. You must be in the word of God, seeing the glory of Jesus in it. That's what fuels our hearts to worship him from the heart. If our heart is intimately connected with Jesus, we have to begin to see him in the word. That's what converts unbelievers. And that's what sanctifies and empowers believers to worship him. We must test our hearts to see what kind of worship we are offering to God and whether it is providing a sweet or repulsive aroma to Him. Let's end where we began. Doxology without theology leads to idolatry. The Pharisees and scribes were led into idolatrous worship because the ultimate determinant of their worship was not the Word of God, but the traditions of men. Brothers and sisters, if our worship is not informed, guided, and ultimately determined by the Son of God, who is the embodiment of the Word of God, we will worship idols. And our worship will not be pleasing to our Father. So let us seek Him. Let us seek the Lord today and ask Him to bring our hearts back to Him. I'm just gonna wait here in silence for a few moments. I want you to seek the Spirit. I want you to ask the Lord To show you, to reveal to you, how am I worshiping you? Is it true worship? Or is it a distorted variety? And then I will close us in prayer. Spirit of God. I pray that you would come and that you would impress the glory of Jesus upon each heart who is here. And that whatever the intended or needed result is, whether that be conversion or a return, sanctification, that you would bring it about in the hearts of every person here. You know what we need come and graciously give what we need. Lord, help us to see Jesus and to allow him to reveal to us our traditions and what leads us astray in worship to you. Produce in us, O God, all that you desire, that we might worship faithfully. I pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.